Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Hey, Paul. I'm doing great. How are you today? Uh, doing fantastic. Uh, it's been a, uh, another crazy week. Um, got a new toilet this week, <laughs> which was interesting. <laughs> I know that's not usually exciting news for people, but for me it was exciting. Um, I was struggling for for a long time with this toilet, and, and Paul, you could probably feel my pain as a as a homeowner. You know, I tried to, you know, I, I fixed the handle and I fixed this, and we've tweaked that, and I just got to the point this past week where I said, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. Right. So I just, I went online into uh, Facebook, went into our local, um, they, they call it like the town's like local, like, where do you find a plumber or who, who you know, what are the, you know, that type of uh, recommendation found a, found a plumber, um, th- that I wanted to try. And, uh, I wound up uh, calling him. He made an appointment real quick. They came yesterday. Um, took the old one away it was it was really nice <laughs> to, to have uh, to have that swapped out so i know little things in life and then uh the other thing uh, i had i had to swap a cable box out and um i was shocked that it took me 45 minutes on a chat session with the cable company to swap out the box it just uh, everything else seems to be a lot simpler nowadays uh whether it's banking or um, you know even some of the other utilities, but uh, it was weird that it took me 45 minutes to activate a new cable box. Right? Uh, for those of you, uh, for those millennials out there who uh, are just cord cutting to start, uh, cable boxes are still the norm with a lot of households. <laughs> if you have cable TV, um, so uh, it's just interesting to me. Uh, Paul, how was your week? It was good. It was good. I actually uh, I treated in my uh my used car for a new car uh it's not something i generally do um i usually keep my cars 10 plus years but uh, in this instance i I want to trade it in for a number of reasons Um, one of which the used car market is so hot right now i want to take advantage of that and i just wanted to share a bit of a financial advice on it depending on your state how they do it when you're trading in a used car for a new one at a dealership, say, they, the ink, the amount of money they take off for the loan, so for the car. So say it's a $45,000 car you're buying, so it's a nicer car. And if your trade-in is worth 20, so they, you only pay tax on the Delta. You only pay tax on the 25. You don't have to pay tax, at least in our state, Paul, New York, it looks like you don't pay tax on what was traded in. So instead of paying tax on the full forty-five thousand, I pay tax on the twenty-five thousand, which means there's a huge savings there. So a lot of times when you sell a car privately, you're going to get more money. Or if you give it to like a, a Carvana, who I've had good success with in the past, you know, they'll give you a fair trade. But when you take into account the tax differential sometimes it actually still is better to go to a dealer. So just an interesting tidbit I thought I'd share. Oh, that's a great call out. And and of course, doing the whole transaction at a dealer, um, financials aside, is usually a lot simpler as yeah. well. A lot less 
it's a lot less hectic, a lot less paperwork, right? Um, that, that's another I thing. I, yeah, but I, honestly, again, I, I know we don't like to call it brand names that often, but the Carvana one, when I did that, uh, that was actually amazingly simple and easy. Come right to your house, pick it up or drop it off, whatever. It just they, they actually nailed it. So, so if Carvana's listening, we're we're looking for sponsors, right? Like, so that's cool. No, no, it's cool, right? We want to recommend what we what we want to recommend what we know. That's a great call out. Some of the listeners might have seen those commercials and said, ah, I wonder. But that's good. That's good that you had good experience with that, Paul. That's good to let our listeners know. That's very cool. Yeah, it, it's really neat. So, um, but when you do the math on the twenty thousand dollars. I mean, I'm doing it right now, right? So that's seventeen hundred thirty dollars here where I live in taxes that I avoided by trading in the vehicle. Oh, very cool, very cool. So I didn't know that you learn something new every day. That's awesome. Um, mm. Well, good luck with the new car, and, and I think I think with that we'll jump into the topic: uh, cost of living around the country. Um, well, did I get that right? No, we usually state the topic and then. We go yep. into the news stories, right? So let me let me do that again. Uh, the topic today is cost of living around the country. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. The first news story, uh, it was an interesting one. And Paul, you had forwarded it on to me from CNN Business. Uh, American workers don't want to go back to normal. And that makes sense. Um, Interesting read. Um, I think overall, for me, Paul, when I read the article, I, I personally think I personally think that things will probably normalize in the six to twelve months as people quickly forget about the pandemic. Um, but time will tell, right? We'll have to see. And I think they even say the phrase at the end of the article: "Time will tell." But but, Paul, what was your take on this article? So um, I actually feel like this article resonated with me a lot from what I'm hearing from other friends or other companies. It, it is going to be a challenge. And I think certain things will normalize, Paul, in six or 12 months. But I think you have a generation or more that's sort of been emotionally scarred by this in some way and taken back by it. Um, a lot of things happened. You know, the government pumped a lot of money into the economy to keep it from going into a depression, quite frankly. Uh, I think they even call that out somewhere in the article. And what, what the reason why I really believe that it's not going to be like it was again, was, yes, the emotional scarring, but also the record number of new businesses created during the pandemic. That's a dramatic change in the American psyche. I mean, it's wonderful. The U.S. is driven by smaller businesses, even though we always hear about these massive entities and and a lot of great jobs at the large companies as well. But a lot of the engine of the economy is a smaller business. And for a record number of small businesses to be created, it tells me that people do want to change. They want to change. Now, obviously, I know most small businesses don't always succeed, but it is, it's interesting. And yes, time will tell. But uh, they say as of May, 2.5 million new business applicants have been filed in 2021. That's 2021. So that, that's really interesting. That's more than half formed in 2020. So it's um, it is interesting, 
and we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's an exciting time, right, in a weird way, because we're coming out, at least in New York, we're coming out of the pandemic um, in terms of, you know, uh, going into the city this past week. Um, you know, the trains are getting more full. Um, the streets are getting more full. Uh, so you could see that even from, you know, eight weeks ago uh, when I started going back in, um, it, it's a dramatic shift in in the way that people are starting to come back, right? And and you're seeing it um, on TV. You're seeing it all over the place. Um, you're seeing it on social media, right? So that's why my 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 cautiously optimistic in my cautiously optimistic mind, um, I think that people will quickly forget. And I know that sounds really crazy, but in my opinion, I think people will forget. I, I just think they will. I think they want to forget, to be honest with you. And and I think, you know, I go back to what you had said at the end of your uh, kind of side of, side of this and what I said before. You know, I think time will tell, right? I think that, you know, if you mark your calendar and, and you know, we have this conversation on June 26th, 2022... Um, which I'm going to jot that down, Paul. We'll do. I'm going to jot that down and put it in my calendar. So when we hopefully do our taping a year from now, <laughs> I want to bring this back up, this article. So for fun, I will kind of bury that time capsule in my virtual, you know, in the virtual era, right? I'll bury it in the calendar, right? And we'll see where we're at, Paul, on that podcast, or at and around that podcast. If that, I think that'll be fun that's to revisit deal. this story. That's a good deal, Paul. We'll, we'll do that. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, great. With the second story, uh, which is um, Susie Orman's Five Rules of Avoiding the Poor House in Retirement. Um, just as an aside, I, I used to love watching Susie Orman on Saturday evenings with my wife. Uh, yes, we are a very exciting couple. Um, she's no longer on the air, right? She has, I believe, you know, semi-retired and good for her. Um, but we do miss Susie uh, kind of being out there on the forefront on CNBC. And, and she was kind of a, a firestorm in terms of, you know, personal finance, right? She was up there with the, pos well, she probably still is up there with the personalities like David Ramsey and, and others um, that, you know, giving and doling out, you know, pretty decent sound financial advice, kind of like we, what we try to do, Paul. Um, I think they all try to do it. Um, Susie, I believe at one point, you know, and they all have, uh, they've changed their um, mantras on some of these pieces in terms of uh, investing and stuff like that. But I think overall, she's been a great financial f uh, force in this personal finance industry. And and her article that, you know, is out here um, is called Susie Orman's Five Rules for Avoiding the Poor House in Retirement. And, and I think they're all kind of 101. Um, and we've talked about them on the, on the show here, Paul, uh, downsize your home, making sure you beef up your emergency fund, um, invest and continue to invest into your Roth IRA if, if you're eligible for that. If you're not, keep investing into your traditional IRA. Um, update your investment portfolio. So keep an eye on what you're investing in and, and, and every once in a while kind of do a rebalance um, with the advisement of a of a. Uh, a financial advisor, or if you're, you know, self-directed, you could do it on your own. Uh, but the, she says in here, the moral, the moral of the story is really um, that uh, you have to um, make sure you have saved and avoid exorbitant spending. And I think that's key. So, so Paul, with that, I'll hand it to you. What, what was your thoughts on this article? Well, you, you kind of summarized it right there. Make sure you're planning and, and saving 
proportionally to what you think your needs will be. Uh, the thing that I thought was quite compelling and interesting was Americans 65 and older, uh, on average, spend $46,000 a year, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. But the American median savings is just 144000 Now, again, I feel like that they're missing some data. Well, did they look at the same population, you know, 65 and older or not? Doesn't say. But the savings crisis has been an ongoing crisis for a long time. It's uh, It'll be interesting, again, to see the change in the pandemic. Because I know a lot of people, when the pandemic hit, those who could saved money. And they locked it away. In fact, I believe the Gen X I was reading not too long ago, they were the worst savers overall, in generally speaking. But when the pandemic hit, they were by far the biggest savers. So, again, something to look at uh, a year from now, Paul, to see what comes out of all of this. But saving and planning is key. And that's what we, we try to try and share here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we've always kind of touted that, right? It's not so much how much you make, it's how much you save. I, I think I'm still a big believer in that mantra. Um, and and I think that the majority of America is stuck in that non-savings rut. And, but once again, thankful and grateful, I have some money to save, right? There are a lot of people out there that are still living paycheck to paycheck. And, and there's definitely an amount of waste, if you want to call it that, or frivolous spending. But I think some of it is people are just still really struggling, right? You know, so if you have a family of four with three kids and, you know, you're making, you know, kind of the average American salary, which I, I don't know if it's 40000 50000 there is some median for, you know, across the country. That's still hard, right? When you factor in all the different things that you need to do in this life, you know, besides the food, shelter, electricity, the car, you know, all the other things that come into it. I could see how people uh, have a hard time saving. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm still a big believer that if you really look close enough at your financials, no matter what position you're in, in most cases, and there are exception cases, but in most cases, you could squeeze out a little bit of savings. Right, and, and if you put effort into it, you'll find some nuggets of, of money in there that you could squirrel away, right? And, and I think that's how it starts. I think I've told that story over and over again. There's a whole podcast um, that we did a long time ago, ago called Pay Yourself First, right? And that was me. I was living paycheck to paycheck um, early, early in my career and not getting ahead. And there's a great story that I tell about my friend's uncle, so I'm not going to go into it here. But it was it was fascinating, and I was able to find that money and and put it away and get into that rhythm, and I still do that rhythm today. So, um, I think with that, Paul, we'll we'll kind of jump into the the topic for this week, which is the cost of living around the country, um, and I think we'll kind of jump into the you know my situation with it and my understanding of it is. I kind of know firsthand kind of the differences because a few years ago, my brother, um, he was looking to move from New York down to North Carolina. And when he told me he was potentially going to do this, now he didn't do it, but when he told me he was potentially going to do it, I sort of scoffed at him and said, ah, you know, a bar of soap in New York is going to be the same cost as down in Carolina. So what are you really saving? I don't understand. But then I got more and more interested, um, and I, I started to do a little bit of research. And I remember, I took it 
to the nth degree, Paul, I, I looked at real estate in the local area. I actually called a local insurance agent to figure out, well, how much is, how much is uh, homeowner insurance down here, right? And I looked at the taxes and I looked at everything in aggregate and I looked at the school systems and, you know, in a really nice school system in North Carolina, I looked at real estate and I looked at all these things and I called my brother back and I said, you should do it. <laughs> I told my <laughs> wife, we should do it, right? Like, we should really do this. I, at the time, I was working for a company that had a big presence down there. So I could have easily moved down there um, and, and did it. We didn't do it. And my brother didn't do it. And, and, but it was a great learning experience because when you get outside of these big metropolitan areas like Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, I'm just calling out kind of the big metropolitan areas of the country, things are cheaper. Now, maybe the bar of soap is not cheaper, but a lot of things are. The big things in life are cheaper. Housing, real estate taxes, uh, insurance for that real estate, right? Uh, there's a lot of things that are cheaper. Uh, some states have no inc state income tax, right? Like there's so many things that are available to people. Um, it's crazy. And I, I spoke to my wife about it once because there was a job opening uh, for where she works in Fargo, North Dakota. And I'm like, we should go there. And she's like, I'm not moving. And I'm like, but it would be so cool. Like, like we could, you know, really downsize. And if we really do this the right way, like, you know, I could stay home and you could work. And, and no, she didn't like that. Um, so it's okay. But, but I think, you know, sometimes, um, in general, you know, you also, there's the flip side to it, right? Sometimes you'll get a job offer. And if you're living in, let's say, North Carolina, and now you get a, a nice big job offer to go to New York, you have to look at that too. So there's a flip side to this, right? I think when I started researching this, Paul, I was looking at it more from going from the higher cost parts of the country to the lower cost. But then I realized that sometimes people are doing the opposite, where they go from the lower cost to the higher cost, and maybe even with that income boost, because that might be a primary reason for it, uh, if they do the math, they might not be getting ahead as much as they thought they were, given the cost of living in the new area, right? So people really, really have to do their homework, especially the math. I think that's so important. And one last thing, Paul, the, I think we've, we've addressed this topic in other episodes, but it was always in the context of retirement, that I'm done now. And now I want to retire, right? So I want to go to a lower cost. That was kind of been our model and what we've talked about. But I think this episode is really going to explore. And I, Paul, thank you for bringing this uh, up as a topic because it really opened my eyes. Um, but really focusing on moving and, and you know to a you know cost of living around the country, but not so much focused on retirement, but just focused on non-retirement, just in general, so we could kind of dig into it. So, Paul, with that, uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts on it? And then we'll kind of jump into the discussion points. Sure. So, uh, for me, I, I've always, you know, been a New Yorker, true and through, and I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. But, you know, as things have changed, you know, uh, I guess some more gray hairs and such. Uh, I do think about things differently. So not necessarily just retirement, but in general. And yeah, oh, so for example, my eldest son, he was looking at a job in the mid-Atlantic region and we were talking about it and he was very serious about the job and it was a very long process to go through it and, and get it. And one of his internships reached out to him 
and said, listen, before you sign anything, wait for my offer. And he's like, okay. But we were waiting a long time sort of for that. Not really that long. When he left the internship, he's like, oh, I'm surprised they didn't say anything about me coming here when I know they're looking for people. So he kind of like blew it off. And then the guy reached out and said that to him. And then the offer came in for him. So, again, this is the exact opposite of retirement. This is someone just starting their career. And the offer was significantly more, you know, like 40% more than the Mid-Atlantic. Now, this job was further in the southeast area. So, okay, wow. that That's right off the bat, like, okay, that's huge. But then we did do the cost of living assessment. And when you look at certain things like just the state income tax, so there are eight states in our union that do not have an income tax. Alaska, Florida, Nevada, South Dakota, Texas, Wyoming, Washington, and Tennessee. Tennessee, sorry, has 1%. They have 1%. So it's really interesting. So then now you take um, the income. It's more, you know, in in the southern regions. Then you take the tax, and it's less income tax in this area. And then we did overall, there are a lot of great sites out there for cost of living adjustments that factor in a lot of what you were saying, Paul, the bar of soap, uh, the gasoline, shall we say, things like that. And it was significantly cheaper in the other region. So now he has more income. He has, sorry about the ding there. He has more income. He has lower income tax and a lower cost of living. And it's more the lifestyle he was looking for. So for him, it became a no-brainer. And uh, I, I like you, Paul, always find it compelling and look like, well, how do I maximize not just my money, but my, my lifestyle, right? For me, I like going out by the water and stuff like that. So I kind of want to continue to do that. So if I could do something in that realm where I could, you know, have a small boat and, and use it more during the year than just a few months that's great to me uh i love that in fact i'm gonna go off on a tangent here is that okay paul no that's fine so uh, i i mentioned a number of podcasts i do have a small boat and in new york new york state requires 10 percent ethanol in the fuel well that 10 percent ethanol in the fuel wreaks havoc on boats especially if the boat's sitting for too long the gasoline and the ethanol separate and the boat can't really run on the ethanol and it eats away at the rubber gaskets and everything and in fact actually if you were to research ethanol transportation there are special containers and everything they use for that they can't use the traditional type of stuff that they use for some of the gasoline stuff and then if you look at it, i'm going to pick on florida for a minute here all along the coast of florida you can purchase ethanol-free gasoline. So for my boat, I would do that. So as of right now, today, I am having my boat repaired because there was a major problem with the ethanol and it caused a whole bunch of the fuel lines and the injectors to have problems. And there's a calm involved in getting that fixed. My gosh, you know, again, if I were to be, you know, in maybe South Texas or Florida or somewhere else, 
you know, it, it might be easier, but I was picking on Florida there and I, I wouldn't have this problem at all. So now I have less income tax. I can enjoy a boat longer and it, it just seems a little bit easier for me. So that, that's sort of my, my thinking. And I, I've always toyed with this, but my wife's career is, is definitely tied to New York area. So we're not going anywhere, but it it is always very tantalizing to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, and I have to point out the doorbell ringing. That's the authenticity of this podcast, right? <laughs> you know, we leave all those kind of things in. You always hear my garage door opening and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, you see, Paul, what you did, and this is great, right? What you had just talked about and went into detail, I think most people don't do that, right? It's ready, fire, aim. They uh. get an offer for a new job and say, boom, I'm done, jumping in. Right now, you may have done the math and maybe the situation. I'm not saying it, but you may have done the math with your son and said, whoa, you know what? Even though it looks like they're giving you more money, they're really not. Right. Because let's say that job was placed in, you know, Los Angeles. Right. Or, you know, San Diego. I don't know. But but the fact that you sat with him. Right. Another teachable moment. Right. With your with your with your kid to really dive in. And do your homework and the math, right? Because I think most people don't do that. I think most people um, look at the situation and they look at the emotion, right? That happened a lot. You know, I'm going to tie it to the real estate boom that we had before 2008. I think people would walk into a home and they would see whatever and they would just sign whatever mortgage because they fell in love with the piece of property, right? And not And they did not do the math, right? And I know this is a weird tie, but... You know, I remember way back when, when me and my wife were looking at houses, we were pre-approved for a lot more than what we bought, right? And we could have, you know, looking at those numbers said, wow, we could buy X, right? But this was at a point where, you know, if you had a strong, healthy, you know, I'm going to date myself, Paul, but if you had a strong, healthy paper route making 75 bucks a week, you might be able to get a mortgage for two and a quarter, right? Like, I don't know. Like, it was crazy. So yeah. it's it's like... You know, when I say two and a quarter, two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, like it was, it was nuts the way they were giving out money back then, right? So, I think Paul, just like me, you know, that's why I think we get along so well, <laughs> well in life, even outside the podcast. We think this way, right? Like I would have done the exact same thing that Paul cited before, right? Which is excellent. You, you take the situation, you assess it, you look at the financial factors. You look at the non-financial factors, and then you make a well-informed decision. And I think that's really what hopefully people get out of this podcast today is you really want to focus on that. So so thank you, Paul, for that. That was that was very cool. Um, do we want to jump into the topics? Yeah, I kind of thought we were there. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, go. right? Like, so um, I'm just looking at the bullets. So the first topic, I think, is maybe, you know, how do you figure out the cost of living around the country. And I stumbled upon during the research, Paul, this bank rate calculator that I posted to the uh, Facebook page. And it was pretty simple. Um, you could click in there and and look at, uh, put in where you are now or where you want to be and, you know, metropolitan areas. And it gives you the cost differential and it gives you this whole breakout. I don't know if you had a chance to take a look at that calculator, Paul, but um, to figure out kind of the different regions of the country, um, can never be easier. And I see, Paul, you had also found the link, which was very cool, around tax rates. So what's your thoughts when it comes to using these online calculators and tools to to help you make your decision? I think they, they are, from what I've seen, that they generally are pretty good. Um, 
at the very least, Paul, they're a guide. They, they help you. Uh, you went to the more than nth degree by calling up local real estate and insurance companies, uh, wasting people's time on them. But uh, that's all right. I won't, I won't pick on you too much for doing that. But it is, they're really helpful. I, I kind of find them neat and helpful. And uh, I've used them many times to just, you know, I certainly wasn't looking at Fargo, North Dakota, but um, definitely looking around in, in other places. And to me, it's neat. It, it gives me a reference point to start looking at things. And you have to figure out, well, wh- where's your point where it makes a difference? You know, and a lot of these things, the only challenge with these are they are very general. So after you get through the general stuff, then you do what Paul was saying and you'll you pull up a Zillow or a Redfin and, and look at the housing market and where you're going to want to live specifically and, and really do the deep dive on the math. Uh, it's it's very helpful, though. Yeah, I think just one caveat with my with my brother's situation, I did call the insurance company because it was really for, on his behalf. <laughs> so I was really calling to figure I had to out. Tease you, Paul, what was that? I had to tease you on that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But it was because um, he was really considering it, right? Like yeah. this was real, right? He had the offer in hand. He has a his job allows him to work in any part of the country, rel- making relatively the same amount of money. Um, you know, so it, this, this particular company really wanted him, And, and so he was serious. Um, and he was very close. Um, so I just, as a, as kind of the big brother, I just wanted to make sure that there was no caveats, right? So that's kind of why I put the extra attention on it, um, to look at these different things. So I was actually looking in different areas that he was actually going to be pinpointing, you know, to, to live. So, so it was interesting. Um, but yeah, these online calculators are a big help, right? I looked at this tax rate calculator, Paul, that you found. That's awesome. I'm glad that you found that piece, um, to, to take a look at. It's interesting when you see how much difference there is between tax rates around the country which is very interesting, state to state, right? So you brought up kind of no real estate, you know, no income tax, right? But then there's, you know, look at the stakes that, you know, what are the top 10 of the highest tax? What are the ones that don't have tax? You could look at all these different things and really understand um, what you're up against. And one little thing to add to that, which we've talked about in other podcasts, Paul, is which states um, do not have local tax, uh, you know, state tax on, uh, retirement distributions, right? I think Florida and Pennsylvania, like see, even though Pennsylvania has a 3% uh, tax rate, which is low, my understanding with Pennsylvania is that on uh, retirement income, there's no income tax on retirement income, right? So it's very interesting when you look state to state at all the different um, options that are out there. Yeah, it's it's really interesting and somewhat surprising. You know, Oregon, their their low bracket is five percent. Their high bracket is nine point nine percent. You know, all sensibly, it's about ten percent there. And then you look at California, with a low of one percent, but their high is thirteen. So it's just again putting in the numbers. I actually put it into a spreadsheet, Paul where you know you could put in what your salary is uh, i put in fifty thousand dollars as a base salary for you know i believe somewhere around there is the average 
salary in the U.S. right now. And you can just see the numbers across the board. It's really quite interesting. Um, I'm going to pick on Rhode Island here for a moment because it caught my eye. So if you're making $50,000, the minimum state income tax is $1,875. The high end on the income tax is $3,000. So it's uh, sort of middle of the road on both the low and the high there for for that state. It's just another factor. It's just something else you really have to understand what you're doing, what you're getting into, and um, to do it, figure it out. Um, you know, my son was last night, actually, Paul, talking about the cost of living calculators. He was, last night, the night before, he was up watching TV, and he was, I'm like, what are you doing? Because he has his computer open, and he's like, I'm creating a budget spreadsheet, but Paul, he had three levels of categorization in it. So, you know, you have car, you have car maintenance, you have car fuel. Um, I don't know what his other one was for car. I don't know if car went. No, I think it was transportation, then car, then fuel or maintenance or whatever. I'm like, all right, don't get neurotic with what you're tracking. Right? All I could hear was Jody. You know, tracking every penny. I'm like, can you get neurotic and drive yourself nuts? It's nice to have a balance in how you manage it. Yeah, I was going to say, it reminded me of Jody when you were talking about that. And it's funny. So it's a great call out, right? Like, so looking at the tax rate is one piece of the jigsaw puzzle, right? So, you know, when you're looking at this, I think the big bulky items that you want to look at when you're looking at cost of living around the country, um, and I'm just kind of jotting it down, was, you know, yes, the tax rate, you know, the state income tax rate, right? State income tax rate on retirement funds. That's another one if you're at that point. Um, You would also want to look at homeowner insurance, right? You'd want to look at real estate taxes, right? On the home that you're going to buy or the area that you're going to buy into. So these are some of the things that you really want to make sure you have on your list um, in addition to some of these other pieces as you're making the decisions. So um, all these things come into play, uh, like you said before, with doing the analysis with your son um, to, you know, to make that informed decision, uh, which I think is key. Um, another thing that's, I think, a big trend right now, Paul, is the COVID motivated movement. I, I've seen and heard people that have moved to other parts of the country because they are remote now and they figured, well, I'll just move, right? It's a great opportunity to move to another place, right? Um, And I don't know, depending on who you work for um, and what industry you're in, um, I'm not sure if if that was the right move. I think some people thought that COVID would kind of just never end maybe i don't know mm-hmm. but we, i've definitely seen a trend and it's in the news and I, I know people personally that have made that covid motivated move and and i'm curious paul this kind of ties to other reasons for moving right there could be climate it could be a job opportunity or a downsizing it could be a new start right it could be you know to take advantage of the lower costs um so paul what is your thoughts when it comes to kind of reasons why someone would want to move and 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 kind of tying it to that covid scare that we've had which i believe is cautiously optimistic it's almost over now yeah so uh, i need to use the word scare I, I think covid did scare a lot of folks and it didn't scare a lot. A lot of people, ah, whatever. But 
the movement because of that, what, what I think happened here, I think, I don't know if it's a think or we kind of know what happened really, is when you look at it, so many people worked from home. Not everyone, right? Because not you, you can't you can't serve food or, or be in the restaurant business working from home necessarily, right? If you're <laughs> the DoorDash, I guess helps with some of that. But um, when you look at that, and so a lot of people took advantage of the opportunity and said, you know what, I'm going to reevaluate my life, and I'm going to move. Maybe they got approval from their company. Uh, maybe they didn't, and they just picked up and moved. You know, I've heard both sides of the story. Or maybe they even switched jobs, and the job was now a remote job. But what I think is motivating a lot of people is, you know, two things, cost of living and lifestyle. People have been reflecting upon their life over the past 15 months and kind of taking a little bit of a step back and saying, well, what's really important to me? And... We'll see how it plays out really long term. This is sort of a macro type impact that we may not really understand for many, many years. But it's almost like some of the hustle and bustle of some of the bigger cities might change dramatically. And because of that reevaluation by people. Now, there are always going to be people who are like, heck yeah, I'm all in. Depending on where you are in your career, your family life, situation, everything, people are making those decisions like, you know what, what is really important to me? What do I want to focus on? And I think that was a big reason for why people were doing it. I think COVID just made it more palatable for people to do. Because people who are moving, it's something they're probably thinking about anyway, or they're frustrated with something, or maybe just being in the same small space if they're in a studio apartment somewhere, like, I can't do this anymore. And that's why they moved. So there, there is sort of an underlying reason COVID, I think, really just helped give people individual clarity on what they really want. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, once again... Time will tell how this all plays out, and I think it's tied to the news story, the first news story that we, we touched upon, right? So we'll, we definitely will, re- it'll be fun to revisit this a year from now. Um, and that's a good call out, Paul, right? Like, so if, if you're considering the move, make sure you get the approval of at least your current company, right? That it's okay to move, right? So if that's something and your job, you know, allows you to do that, I think that is something that, you know, it's a good call out to to make sure that your company knows you're moving um, and just kind of vet it with them. I think that people who do this, um, regardless, have to be prepared that this could be a um, a two-way door decision, right? So uh, the example that comes to mind, and and, and uh, I listen, and maybe this, hopefully this doesn't throw off any listeners, right? I listen to Howard Stern, right? And he has a, a producer on the show that when COVID hit, moved to Alabama, right? Now the show operates out of New York, right? So there was a whole like bit on the show where they talked to this guy and said, well, what happens when COVID's over? Are you gonna like get in your car and commute 12 hours each day <laughs> to, to the office? And, and his response was, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it, which I think led listeners to believe that at some point he'll do something different, right? To your point, Paul, right? But I think that if you, for example, but it's a good it's a good example of what could happen, right? So you're working for company A, 
and they say, okay, instead of working in New York, um, you can move to Alabama, right? And then you get to Alabama and that company goes out of business, right? And now you're in a rural part of Alabama um, and now you need to replace that income at the level you were making potentially in New York. How do you how do you square that circle, right? Like, how do you do it, right? And, and you may have to move back to another spot in order to do it, right? So I think that when people have, you know, evaluate how they're going to do this, they should just remember that things could change and that things could change anyway, right? Even if you stay put, right? Like, you know, but, but I think they have to kind of factor that in, Paul. And, and then, you know, I think this also ties to, Paul, what you called out, which is what stage of life are you in? Right? Are you at the beginning of your career where moving to different spots and, 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 and you can take advantage, especially if you're by yourself or maybe you have no kids, right? It gets tougher as you go through the stages of life. I think it's easier at the beginning of your career than it gets really hard in the middle to make those tr changes. And then it gets easier towards the end of your career when the kids are out of the house and, and, and stuff like that. So, so Paul, what is your take when it comes to kind of the stages of life and trying to tie it to that. Well, so first, uh, you you brought up a great point, and, and that's something I think people have overlooked a lot with, I'll call them the COVID movers, right? I don't know, I just made that up. So with all the COVID movers, you know, what happens if that job does dry up, you know, your, your current job, and you, or maybe it is a new job there? I don't know if people have looked at the unemployment or the job opportunities in their new region. So yeah, we're talking a lot about finances here, but you really gotta look at the overall, the big picture, okay? How, how good is the economy in that area? Um, I think that's easily overlooked because it's very tantalizing to move to somewhere else. Oh, this is great, it's gonna be great. And then, you know, all of a sudden maybe Everyone from your old job is in the office post-COVID and having a good time, and you're the guy on the phone, the lone guy on the phone, maybe. I don't know if we're going to be that extreme with it, but it's a really, really important point there, Paul, to uh, to bring that out. And then I sort of uh, got off on a tangent there, and I didn't answer the rest of your question. Oh, the stages. Yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah, think— Yeah, the stages, sorry. Yep. So uh, stages are— are interesting. I, I think it's all tied to your level of income and comfort level. So if you were younger and yeah, you could be free willed, free spirit and, and go wherever and, you know, not tied to anything. Like you said, then middle stage where maybe you're married and have a few kids, it gets harder. Uh, but it, it gets harder. I think personally, because you feel like you it's too much of a burden to do a big change or a big move but people do do it all the time it's about understanding the opportunity of where you're going to go you know i was talking to a, a younger couple last night they have a, a one-year-old and a, a baby on the way and we we're they're kidding around like oh my gosh it's beautiful over here let's just move here and they could because they've been saving for a long time um, and they easily could just probably just do that. But you feel comfortable. So some of it's a comfort factor. It's all about where you are mentally and 
what you're looking for, and also the stages of life, your family. How, how close are you to, your, to your extended family? Maybe you're not close and you want to move further away. I don't know. But uh, it's all one big puzzle. It's not all math. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. There's that bell curve, right? Where I think I'm I'm probably talking about, you know, 70, 80% in the middle that, you know, apply to that kind of stages of life that I outlined before. But yes, there's always going to be people, and you're right, there are people that move all the time, right? They got four kids, they live in California, they get a new job in New York, they move, right? Like, it just, that's the way some people are, right? And they see it as an exciting journey, and people do that all the time. I know that in my kids' classes, people that do that, they go from different countries, right? So, I totally get it. It comes down to comfort level and some of these other pieces. And I think you you kind of opened up the door to our last topic, which is really non financial considerations, right? Which for me, when I look at the big picture, the ones that call out to me are, you know, school systems, right? If you have kids and you're going to a new region or a new area, you know, what are the schools like, right? Um, You know, in terms of um, what part of the country you're looking at. And then I think also, you know, other areas would be transportation, right? How, How good or bad is the public transportation system? And maybe you need to take advantage of that, right? Or maybe not, but it's another factor to take a look at. Um, The other factor that comes to mind is culture, right? Looking at the city or the area that you're looking to, and will you fit and adapt into that culture, right? Are you a city person now? You're going to the country. Can you adapt to that country lifestyle, right? Have you visited it enough uh, prior to moving to understand what it's all about, right? That kind of thing. So I I think it's interesting when you get into these non-financial aspects of of different parts of the country because i want to kind of tie it into that still i think we covered kind of cost of living and and how it focuses around the different areas but that non-cost of living those other attributes that you want to consider paul what's your take when it comes to the non-financial aspects of moving Uh, to different parts of the country i would argue that's almost more important than the finance maybe not quite but you can't discount it and you have to do it really eyes wide open. So you were saying, you know, have you visited that spot enough? And I, I think that's a great call out, right? And not just, oh, yeah, I went there for a couple trips. No. Did, did you stay there for, you know, maybe a month and really try and live there before making that big plunge? You know, depending, again, on the stage of life and where you're at. But fitting in to that culture and can you adapt can can you change it is hard you know you i used to hear it a long time ago you know people moving from the new york area or whatever out west you know, arizona was the hot spot for a long time for for folks here and you know i heard people moving back right so you really have to understand how it's going to play out and what are your expectations right I know they say, oh, you know, it's a dry heat out there. I don't know, man. 110, 115 degrees, hot is hot. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't get past that. I think you and I had that discussion once. But uh, I, th- I really believe that the fit is so important. And it's not just you're going to fit in, but as you said, are you, are you adapting to that style, right? You you can't be, say, a New York City-style person and move to, you know, the rural community so easily, necessarily. Maybe you can. Maybe because that's where you grew up, you know, and, and you're just going back home because 
you you like that style you like that space um me i've i've always been in the suburban areas here in the new york area i i wouldn't mind more space for myself and uh you know but it needs to be near the water because i'm a water guy but uh, you'll see yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have a, a good friend of mine, my buddy Dave, that moved from New York to, to Las Vegas many years ago. And, you know, he, he loves it out there now, right? And I think, to your point, there are people that will boomerang back and there are people that move and say, I'm not ever going back, right? Or, you know, or they'll visit from time to time, but they've made this new place their home. Um, I think, um, like my brother, case in point, you know, he, he used to live in the area down here. He lives in upstate New York now, and he loves it. To your point, he has more space. Um, and he's really loves the lifestyle up there, right? And, and so it's really, I think it depends on the person, but I don't think there's a right or wrong decision. I think most of these decisions, hopefully, are two-way door decisions, right? So if you pick up and move from New York and you move to Arizona and you get there and you're like, you're there a month and you're like, this is pretty hot, right? You can move back right now. Yes, there's transaction costs. There's all kinds of things associated with it. But I think that, you could always reverse the decision to a degree, right? Uh, you, not without penalty. You're going to pay, right? So if you sold your house in New York and you moved to Nevada and you you bought a house out there and now you don't like it, you know, a few months later and you sell that house and move back to New York and buy a new house, that costs you a lot of money. So that goes back to your point, Paul, where, you know, do your homework. And, and I think that's part of, and I will jump into the summary recap. I think everything we've said today really comes down from my kind of recap is do your homework, especially the math, right? That worst case scenario, right? So you move from New York to Arizona and, and then you're out there a month and you have to move back. And what does that cost you <laughs> for that move? Would it have been cheaper to, you know, move out there for a month in a hotel and just relax and enjoy the lifestyle? You might find out very quickly after two weeks is too hot and you've saved yourself a lot of money, right? So you really need to do your homework and especially the math. So Paul, I'll let you have the last word on this. Sure. So I think the math is important, but I think you need to evaluate everything else as equally important. All right. Uh, example, when the kids were looking at colleges, I made them write out all the things that are important to them about the school, a school, any school. Just what are the things you're looking for in a school? And then, you know, maybe it's a list of say, 15, 20 things. Not a crazy, crazy list, but a, a decent-sized list. And then I made them, which are the top five things that are the most important to you? Okay. And then, so I had them actually rank, rate each thing, um, score them one through seven. I think we might have talked about my scaling on one to seven before. But one through seven what are the most important things? Each one gets rated in a one to seven scale and they all can't be sevens. So they do that. And then as we visited each school, so I had them do that weeks and weeks prior. And then as we started visiting the different schools, I made them rate that school based on their list of 15 questions. And then we took it out at the end and started looking at it. Yes, you, you could do say it is still math, but it's a little bit more objective in that way. Like I like the maybe a, I like the social aspect. I like the club sports aspect. Whatever those things were, and you should really do the same thing with where you're looking to move to. What are you looking for? 
What do you really want? What what's driving your move other than financial? And then that'll help you tie that to the financial. Of course, you could fake your scores and make it what you want, but that defeats the whole purpose. So that, that's my take on it. It's not just about the math. I think more it's the math is just a part of it, and uh, I really believe it's much more than math. Very cool. Well said, Paul. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you 